That song is a powerful truth from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Where it says, Trust the Lord with all your heart, and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. What we're going to look at this morning in Genesis 41 is an illustration of that verse, of a man who does that, who trusts in the Lord, who acknowledges Him in all His ways, and sees how God directs His paths. And so it's a beautiful story in Genesis 41. It, when we get to this chapter of those of us who followed the life of Joseph, when we finally get to 41, we just kind of have a, a sigh of a relief. A resolution's been brought. It's troubling to our soul and psyche to uh, see stories that don't have a happy ending. I was, uh, this past week, I uh, took Julie to see Fiddler on the Roof. And uh, great story. I, one, I've I never really been able to attend or to... Uh, to know the story, I just knew that it was about some Jews, and that was about it. And uh, at the end of the story, it was uh, found that I laughed my way to a point of sadness. Uh, that was the effect of this play. Um, you know, the, the story is, uh, these, it was set in the 1800s in Russia. Uh, they have their Jewish community in a little town, a village of Anna uh, Teknev, or Anna Tivak, I think, is the name of it. And, and here they are. And they have tradition that holds them together. This man has five girls. And the story is about marrying his daughters off. <laughs> really? Can you get much more depressing than that? And, and that's what they do. And it's how it happens. The, the first one, uh, instead of uh, the father arranging their marriage, as is the custom, uh, they pledge themselves to one another. And he kind of gets through that and... and uh, you know, holds on to them anyway. And then the second one comes up to him and says, you know, we want your blessing. We're not asking for permission even. Uh, we just want your blessing. And, and so he, he has a bitter pill to swallow and his role is being diminished. And, and finally, when the third one comes along, he marries or she marries someone uh, that is uh, outside of his family, outside of the Jewish faith, outside of the Jewish heritage, the line. And, and he just disowns her, uh, says you're dead to us. And so the story goes on, and, and toward the end of the story, they, the whole, all of the Jews get uh, sent out of this village. They've got to live on their own elsewhere. And, and finally, the daughter comes up to the, uh, to the father, the one that's been disowned, and the father has some semblance of at least acknowledging her. And then they say goodbye to one another and to the entire village, and the show ends. <laughs> like, it's one of these shows where I'm like, well, you know, I've certainly been here long enough for it to be over. And people are acting like it's over. But really, that can't be the end, is it? And we left there. And I thought, oh, what a terrible way to end. That's how life was. They said goodbye to the village and the Jewish community was no more there. And it just troubles me. And it troubles a lot of us when we try to get a story and we want a happy ever after. Ending. And that's when we come to Genesis 41. It's like, ah, there's resolution. There's a happy ever after that all the wrongs that Joseph have endured, they're since made. And we can live with that. And so we find that Genesis 41 is a great story, one that our heart just kind of echoes and resonates with and we long and listen to. And, and when we go through hard times, we think of Genesis 41 and we think there must be something that will be made right. But listen, you need, to, you need to understand that Joseph had the right declared to him in his lifetime. We don't always have that same promise. 
God says there is a right, but it may not be displayed in this lifetime. And you've got to be content with that. And that's a hard pill to deal with. But I think there are lessons to learn in this chapter to help us deal with life. Genesis chapter 41. And what I'd like to do, instead of reading this entire text, we're going to read it as we go. It's about 57 verses, and we're just going to follow the story along. If you remember, those who haven't been with us, you just need to know that Joseph, as a teenager, 17-year-old, once in the favored position, the most favored son of, jo- of Jacob, was betrayed by his own brothers. And as a compromise, instead of killing him like they wanted to do, they stripped him of the garments which their father gave him, the, the, the symbols of prominence and favoritism and love, and stripped that off of him. Instead, sold them uh, to some Midian traders who then took Joseph into Egypt and sold him to a man named Potiphar, all at the young age of 17. There he works as a slave in Potiphar's household. But the Bible says God was with him. And that was the the verse used, the the language used, describes God watching over uh, Joseph. And so he rises in prominence in Potiphar's household uh, and becomes second in in command, working as a slave to Potiphar until Mrs. Potiphar recognizes him and and wishes to commit adultery with him. And and so uh, Joseph, uh, because he realizes that God is with him, lives accordingly and says, I will not do this against you, against uh, Potiphar or against God. I will not compromise. And so uh, she grabs him by the coat and the coat is so well made that instead of tearing, it gets jerked off of him and he leaves behind. And because of the, the, the quality of an Egyptian garment, uh, she now has some proof of evidence as a false accusation against Joseph. And so accuses him of rape before Potiphar. Potiphar believes it to the point that he's willing to send him to his own dungeon And there he resides. We do not know exactly for how long. But we ask, what did Joseph do? All he's done is live right before God and blame the Egyptian cotton. And so here he is in prison. And there he resides. And the Bible says, God was with him. Last time we looked at this passage, the lessons that we learned was, what does it mean for God to be with you? And more importantly, what does it not mean for God to be with you? And we've seen how in God's presence, there was no guarantee of his family presence as that has been betrayed. There was no guarantee of promise of a promotion as that was betrayed. There was no guarantee of physical well-being. And if we hold on to God so that we can get all those things, you have made these things an idol. And you're not serving God, but you're making God a servant of you. And so there he is. God's with him. And so in God's divine appointment, he runs across two men, a cup bearer and a baker, and they have some dreams. And God uses Joseph to reveal the interpretation of these dreams. And and the end result is that the baker gets killed by Pharaoh and the cup bearer gets brought back into position before Pharaoh. And Joseph gives him this word. When you go, can you speak a good word for me? I've gone through some bad stuff. He explained what happened to him. Just mention me. Well, if you read the verse right before chapter 41, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him, verse 41, after two whole years. (laughs) Why is it said that way? For you to feel the impact of what it means to be forgotten for two whole 
years. Add this already to the 17, uh, since being 17, we know in just a little bit that he is 30. There have been 13 years of though he has been faithful to God, there has been one downturn after another for 13 years. And we wonder if that's what it means to have God's presence. Well, no thanks. No thanks. But that depends whether circumstances is your prize or whether God is your prize. Whether you say no thanks. And so after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. I just want to stop for a second and perhaps help explain how you may relate with Joseph here. Basically, nothing has happened. Nothing has happened except bad from bad for 13 years. And for two whole years, literally nothing has happened except him wasting away from 28 to age 30, wasting his years in prison. What do you do when nothing happens? When you're in a pit? Maybe, I know for some of you, as an economy is much on the mind of many of us. There have been more people in the last month that have lost jobs than there were. And next month, there could very well be more. Maybe you're sitting there right on the edge. And you don't know whether you're going to have job security. Some of you have been out job for a good long time. And you're asking, what do I do when nothing happens? Perhaps, maybe it's not financial. Maybe it's your family. Marital. And there's trouble after trouble. And you're thinking, when is this going to turn around? And for years, nothing has given you change or evidence that things are going to turn. What do you do when nothing happens? Or perhaps maybe it's a physical pit that we may be in. The doctor was called and sent you in a pit of fear and depression. And you think, when will I get out of this? When nothing happens, what do you do? Notice some important truths when nothing happens. First of all, when nothing happens, just understand something. God may be silent, but he is not absent. When nothing happens, God may be silent, but he is not absent. You hear from time after time when Joseph being in prison, that being in Potiphar's house and all these things that or an unfavorable situation for Joseph. Yet the Bible says, but God was with him. <laughs> I wonder if like Joseph, we think, you know, well, where's the proof, God? You just need to know when nothing happens does not mean that God is not absent. Though he is silent, you need to remember he is not absent. As we keep on reading Understand, just because you don't see it happening does not mean it's not happening. Just because you don't see it, that it's not happening, doesn't mean it's not happening. What does Joseph know? Joseph knows that this is day number 740, or something like that, (laughs) since I've told the cupbearer. And I'm going to wake up in the same old, nasty, stinking, dark dungeon with shackles on my feet. And i got the same old, ugly-looking man next to me. And this is the same old day. He had no idea that Pharaoh was having a hard time sleeping that night. And that God was up to something. You need to know that when nothing happens, just because you don't understand it, doesn't mean that it won't make sense. When nothing happens, just because you don't understand it, doesn't mean that it won't make sense. 
Here Pharaoh is, and notice what's happening as he's having this dream. We see in verse four, verse 1, he's got this dream of standing by the Nile. Of course, the Nile, if you study history in Egyptian culture, is a huge natural uh, feature in that country. It gave them their stability and the flooding and fertility and the agricultural. It was the source of their economics. And so he had a dream of their economic source right here. And then we have these seven cows that come up that were plump. They fed on the reed grass. And then verse 3, you get seven cows, very ugly, very thin. And they eat these nice plump cows. That's a little unusual right there. Nothing unusual about cows coming up out of the river, but something very unusual about cows eating other cows. And we get the idea that somehow they still remain ugly and thin. And so that disturbs him. He wakes up. Verse 5. He goes back to sleep again and has another dream, this time of ears of grain, plump and good, growing on one stalk. And then seven more sprouted, seven thin ears. And then the blighted by the east wind, this would have been the wind that would be coming from the desert regions, hot, dry, soaking up any moisture, ruining the crops that were there. We have here the thin ears swallowed up, the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh woke, and behold, it was a dream. And so you see in verse 8, his, in the morning, his spirit was troubled. Something was going on, and he, he had a difficult time resting anymore. He was in distress. He did not understand what was going on. But it didn't mean that it wouldn't make sense. When things are not happening, just because you can't interpret the circumstance, it doesn't mean that there is no meaning. Just because you can't figure out the meaning. And you ask, well, why are these things going on? And you're trying to figure out, what's God doing? Is this God? Is this Satan? Is this me? What's going on? Why are these things happening? Just because you can't interpret it doesn't mean there is no meaning. There is a divine interpretation. And so, (laughs) in comes Joseph. So he keeps on reading. He, he, we, we find that he brings in the magicians. These are not the guys that have good sleight of hand. Uh, in fact, these were learned, educated people. These were the top class of that society. And he brings them in. He says, I want you to help me understand this dream. And as we read in this passage, that they could not. See in verse 8, there was none who interpret them to Pharaoh. And so we come to verse 9. I love how Chief Cupbearer brings us out. Verse 9. Chief Cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Ah, I remember my offenses today. Literally, the, the way the grammatically structure of this is this. Ah, my offenses I'm remembering today. The emphasis is on his offenses. Now just think about this for a second. This is Pharaoh. He's distraught. He's already annoyed and perplexed. No one's helping him. This is the cupbearer. You remember what his job is? He is to test the wine, make sure it's good quality, make sure it's not poisoned. Literally, the Pharaoh's life is in his hands. And so this man comes to Pharaoh in his perplexed state, the cupbearer, and says, ah, my mistake, (laughs) I'm remembering today. You don't want to hear your cupbearer say that he's had some mistakes, all right? So this gets the Pharaoh's attention. Ah, No, I remember something. My mistakes, my offenses. Verse 10, he says, Well, you remember when you were angry with me and the baker? That's probably not another good thing to do. (laughs) He's already perplexed. He says, You remember when you were really mad at me? (laughs) And you put us in prison? 
Well, we both had dreams, verse 11. Verse 12, a young Hebrew, and this is given to let us know there's difference here. Joseph is not just an Egyptian. He's a different man. He, he keeps his differences. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving our interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. What did he learn there? That Joseph, this man, this young Hebrew, was not just telling him what they wanted to hear. That he would tell good news and bad news. He was not playing partiality to the people. He called it as it was. And so, verse 14. And 14 is just, it's just a relishing. You get excited here. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And he shaved himself and changed his clothes and came in before Pharaoh. In Egyptian culture, they, they didn't like hair. Uh, you know, and for a Hebrew, you wanted your beard, you wanted your hair. To be disgraced was to shave. But for the, the Egyptian, you had no hair. And so Dan Parker, you're doing good. You need to shave, but you're doing good. He would, he would fit in. Billy, you're there. You're there, buddy. All right. Uh, and so that would be good Egyptian looking. All right. And so Joseph plays the part. He shaves his hair. And you find in, the, in Joseph's story that there seems to be an emphasis on his clothing. You remember Jacob? He gets, he's the favorite son of, uh, of, of Jacob. And he gets the, the coat of many colors, the variated colors, and, and how that was a place of preference and how that was stripped from him. And then we find him in Potiphar's house as this coat that gets him in trouble. And that, it puts him in a place of prison. And now, once again, the, the garments are brought in. And now he's being brought up prominence. And so you see this theme of, of those garments in, in each time. And so the, the, the clothing is put on. And I, 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 I start thinking of, of, of movies. And I'm thinking of, of Rocky and the eye of the tiger. And, and he's getting ready. He's getting suited up, you know. And, and you're thinking a Rambo. And he's getting the bandana put it on. He's got his combat knife in hand, his M16. And, and if that's not your flavor, then, then maybe you're thinking of of uh, uh, Cinderella and the, and the godmother coming in and turning that that pumpkin into a carriage and the mice into the the the, the coat uh, uh, the uh, the driver and he's got the beautiful dress put on it's just it's just fun like ah oh, man he's getting all suited up for the, for the battle for for what's in front of him and then he gets brought in before Pharaoh for, and I just want to stop here for a second. When something does happen, we've talked about when nothing happens, but when something does happen, you need to know a couple of things. When something does happen, know this, God knows your contact information. God knows your contact information. He knows how to get in touch with you. He knows how to put you where you need to be. I mean, think about that. What kind of, what kind of situation does Joseph find himself? I mean, is he situated to do great things? To be a man of influence? I mean, you're in prison. Yeah, you talk about that life and, and achievements and accomplishments and, and getting jobs is about who you know. Well, who does he know? He's a bunch of inmates. <laughs> he's looking around. He's thinking, man, you guys, I don't see any promise in you. You guys, you're in a dead end road. But here I am. I've been here for years, at least two years. God, what are you going to do with me? But God knew where he was. God knew how to put him where he needed to be. For this reason, I I personally don't send out my resume. I believe God knows where I am. If he wants me to to be in a a place of ministry, he knows how to do that. I'm not saying that's wrong to do. For some of you, that's what you need to do. 
But your trust isn't in that. Okay? Your trust is in the Lord who is sovereign over circumstances. When something does happen, know that God is aware of where you are. He knows your contact information. But also this, God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. He knew exactly when Joseph needed to be brought to Pharaoh's attention. He knew exactly when the famine would occur. He knew when the years of planting would occur. He knew all these things and he was aware of the circumstances and he was in control of the details. When something does happen, be aware that God is in charge of everything, including the timing and knows where you are. Trust in God's knowledge and trust in his timing. Now, that means we're going to do a couple of things. When something does happen, because you do know who God is, that he is aware of where you are, because you do know that God is eternal, that he is aware of all things of all times, and he knows when to do things, what do we do? Well, when something happens, we're going to depend on God. We're going to depend on God, and we're going to credit God. We're going to depend on him, and we're going to credit him. Notice how Joseph does that. So he's brought in. Verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. All right. This is the moment of decision. Every once in a while, we'll have powerful moments like this in our life. Yeah, I'm reminded of a commercial that... When it talks about this is the moment that you've prepared for. This is the, mo- the moment that you've got to work early for. This is the moment that you've disciplined yourself for. When you have that moment where all it seems like all your life's preparation is for this moment. What do you do? Depends on what's in you. What's, what's in Joseph here? He's got Pharaoh's ear. You remember he wanted to cut bear to have Pharaoh's ear to tell him something. He says, can you put a word in for me? That's not who he does anymore. He doesn't bring himself. He's a 30-year-old man. No doubt, I'm sure he's had ambitions in life, things that he dreamed of. What do most 30-year-olds do in a moment like this? Uh, yeah, I've been known, I've been known to, to interpret a dream or two. I think I can help you out with that. That's yeah, that a, a Barney Fife moment, you know? Just, yeah, I, I can do that. You know? We don't see him talking about himself he doesn't bring up hey you know you potiphar let me tell you what he did to me and his wife doesn't bring that up he doesn't bring up hey you know that guy next to you that cupbearer he forgot me what is he talking about well notice his response verse 16 it's not in me God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. This is all one word in Hebrew. It's not in me, but God, it is in God. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. That word favorable answer is, is, is really the word shalom. God will give you a peace. <laughs> I can't do it, Pharaoh, but God can. Now, for those of you who are aware of Egyptian culture, who do they believe the Pharaoh is? Who does the Pharaoh believe he is in Egyptian culture? They think he's God. It is a title of God. You realize what Joseph is saying to this man? I can't help you. God can tell the answer. Oh, you don't know the answer, Pharaoh? I guess you're not God. 
He is about to change the Egyptian culture for this time period. How do you change a culture? How do you change your work environment? How do you change an area like this? How do you change your family? Listen, every once in a while God will give you a divine moment. A a place where you can influence someone who influences someone else. But you will not be able to do it unless you are true to God. And you tell the whole truth. You've had an encounter with God. God has changed your life. You claim you follow God. Then call it as it is. Let me explain it to you. He could have been intimidated by the power around him. He could be intimidated by the Pharaoh in front of him. But he held true to who he was and he acknowledged God. Listen, you want to change people? You don't have to say God every other sentence. You don't have to use hallelujah all the time. You don't have to, you don't have, to have the church vocabulary. But what you do need to do is be honest. With your relationship with God. When someone says to you. Hey. Why don't you join us. Since we're in this convention. Why don't you join us at the club. Where we're going. You don't just say to them. No thank you. Or you don't necessarily join them. Say yeah that sounds great. But the temptation is. is We want to temper and say. No I don't do that. Because I'm married. Or I don't do that because I, I don't have drinking as part of my life. That's the temptation. And you think you're doing your part. But listen, you're not telling the entire truth. You remember when, when Mrs. Potiphar was propositioning Joseph? What did Joseph say? He, he said, yes, I don't do that because I'm loyal to, your ma- to, to my master. But then he also said this. And I will not do this wicked thing before God. When someone is offering you a compromising position, you tell the entire truth and say, no, I don't do that because I believe God is watching and he cares about how I live and I want to live right before God. That has so much more power than when you say, no, I just don't do that. You tell the entire truth. When you're in a a position and you have hope, And circumstances are in a negative situation. And there's fear all around you. There's despair in front of you. But you don't do that. And someone asks, why are you not fretting? Why are you not anxious? You don't just say, well, I'm just an optimistic person. You tell the entire truth. I believe that there is a God who is in control of the circumstances around me. And I worship Him. I just trust Him. You tell the entire truth about your relationship with God. Don't shirk back about talking about what God has done for you. Even if your boss thinks that he or she is God. You serve someone else. You serve someone else. And so Joseph just calls it for what it is. Now listen, as as he goes through, notice how many times he brings God into the picture. And I just want to bring this out too. Joseph isn't promoting himself. Because he realized promotion is a frail thing. (laughs) He's experienced a few promotions in his life. He he was born in promotion through, through his own father. You think you can lose the promotion of your father? He did. He had the promotion of Potiphar. He lost that as a quickly thing. He realized that life was not about his prominence, his place of power, or his money, because that is a frail thing and quickly going away. So he's no longer championing himself. 
says, I want to talk about the one who's carried me through. It's not about me, Pharaoh. It's about God. He can do this. So, verse 17, Pharaoh explains to Joseph his dream. Verse 25, Joseph explains his dream. Notice, the dreams of Pharaoh one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There he is, putting it in again. God's doing this, Pharaoh. You need to be aware. You don't believe in God? That's fine, you don't have to. God exists whether you believe in him or not. You believe yourself as God? Well, that's your own delusion. You can live in it if you want. But God is doing this. God is doing this. And then he says, explains that the seven good cows and the seven good years are one thing representing seven years of plenty, of super abundance. And then the seven lean and ugly cows, the seven bad ears uh, represent seven years of famine. Verse 28, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Pharaoh, you're not God. And then he says and explains again how it's going to happen. And says the seven bad years are going to be so bad you won't even remember the seven good years. And then verse 32. The doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God. It's firmly decided. That word fixed is also used later on in Judges to refer to a strong pillar. (laughs) That's what it means. It's a fixed deal. It's something you can count on. It's going to happen. God's done it. And notice verse 32. God will shortly bring it about. He's got just a few minutes before Pharaoh. And he's all about God. You see, he's trusting God now with his timing. Trusting him with all his heart. He's not leaning on his own understanding. And in all his ways, he's acknowledging God. So... Verse 33, he gives them an economic package, if you will. <laughs> a fourfold plan. First, Pharaoh, you need a wise and discerning man who's going to be overseeing all this land. Verse 34, the second part. Now you need to have people underneath them, overseers, supervisors. Spread it out so it's not just in one man, but it's spread throughout, delegated your authority throughout. Verse, we see it again and. And verse 34, the third part of this, yeah, I want you to install a tax of 20% uh, during these years of good and take this tax, take this grain that you collect and store it up. And, verse, and we see again in the fourth aspect of this, put this grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, let them keep it. In other words, it's not in one place, it's spread throughout as the need will be great. You need different distribution points and there's a lot of wisdom in all this and, and there's a lot of things that we can learn about our own life economically as well as government right here. But that's not the point of this time. You read that on your own and think through that. Verse 36, the food will be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that occur in the land of Egypt. So the land may not perish through the famine. Verse 37, propose a police pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to servants, you know what? Can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Now, Pharaoh doesn't know who God is. He doesn't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he knows that he's the God of Joseph. He doesn't know who he is, but he knows who Joseph is. And he knows something about God. Let me ask you, what do people know about God by you? Do they even believe that there is something different about you? Because you have a different hope? That you beat, or you march to the beat of a different drummer? Or does your march look awfully like your neighbor's? Because the beat which drives you is the same as theirs. He knew there was a difference. 
there's something about God there. He didn't know God, but he knew Joseph. And he knew there's something about God in Joseph's life. And it says, this is a unique man. He's got wisdom, verse 39. Then he said to Joseph, he says, God's showing you all this. You're to be the one. You're the wise. I'm going to set you as overseer. And you shall be over my house. Over all people. They'll, they'll be at your command. And only as regards to the throne, I will be greater than you. Uh, we found later on archaeological evidence that this title could perhaps be the vizier, the prime minister at the top of the administrative bureaucracy. They were the ones superintending the land. They also supervised the judicial system. And it says, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And Stanley at this point brings out some good questions. Do you have any idea what God wants to accomplish through you? In your lifetime, do you have any idea what God wants to do through you? Do you have any idea how many people God wants to influence through you? Have you ever thought about that? God wants you to change people through your lifestyle. Do you have any idea how many people? Do you have any idea what things weigh in the balance of your decisions that you make day to day? Things that we think were simple. I mean, it started with... Joseph noticing two people that looked grumpy and seeing if he could help them. That's a, that's a, that's a, a thing that we deal with every day, isn't it? You see grumpy people all the time. And you ask them, hey, maybe I can help this person. That was a decision that Joseph made. He had no idea what weighed in the balance. <laughs> isn't that something? So what do you do when you realize that there are many things that are at stake? How do you make decisions? You can be paralyzed. It's like, oh my goodness, everything weighs on this. I remember dealing with college. Thinking, hey, if I go to college, this is probably where I'll meet my mate. This will set the, the future of, of, uh, of what I do. And I, I didn't know what school to go to. And I just paralyzed. You got to go to the idea. It's more about who God wants you to be. Who does God want you to be? Than necessarily all these little details. And in the day of the decisions, you ask yourself, who does God want me to be in this decision? What represents him? You'll find that all of these details get ironed out. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on him, not your understanding. And so what happens? Well, notice how he brings all these stuff together. Some beautiful things happen. And you see in uh, verse 42, he says that he took the signet ring, Pharaoh did, and gave it to Joseph. This is kind of like, okay, Joseph, here is my credit card. Here is my bank numbers. You've got it all. It's at your disposal, and I'm going to trust you with this. He gives it to him, signet ring. And then he gives him garments of fine linen. There's that theme again, the coat. I'm going to give you some fine linen. Let's, let's, you know, these little make-do stuff you got on for the prison, that's not going to work anymore. I'm going to give you fine linen. I'm going to give you a, a gold necklace. And then verse 43, I want you to go out to the, uh, the chariot lot over there. And we're going to get you a company chariot. Make sure it represents my royalty. And there he has a chariot to drive around in. And then notice wherever you go, I'm going to have some people. <laughs> They're going to be your people. That's what a Verizon commercial. You got people, you know. So you got people now. And guess what? Wherever you go, you got a traffic problem. No big deal. They're going to go before you and say, bow down, bow down. The prime minister of Egypt is coming through, bow down. Everywhere Joseph looked was a kneeled person. Wow. And so 
To complete it, verse 45, Pharaoh gives him a new name. This is a symbol of his authority. He's, he's being Egyptianized, essentially, all into this culture. I'm going to give you an Egyptian name. It's not really clear what this name means, though that Nath part at the end refers to a deity of Egypt. Um, and so it is an auspicious name, so to speak. And so then he gives him a wife that also has that same last part of the name, Asenath. She is of the priestly class, and therefore Joseph gets into the right social structures. He, he's been married into the, the family of influence. We know that this guy has uh, the name Potiphar, much like Potiphar, but no, maybe no relation, but referring to uh, the god of Ray uh, in that word Potiphar. But he is the priest of On, who would have been a prestigious, powerful priest in that day and time uh, under the priest of the god of Ray. Uh, and so... Uh, here he is, married into this family. Well, you might have some difficulty with that. You know, think, well, you know, Joseph, now you got this Egyptian name, you got an Egyptian wife, and you got all these other false gods around you. He's in the culture, but listen, we get evidence that though he's in this land, he is not of this land. We see this when he starts naming his sons. We get the idea that he's influencing his wife. He is the one who's leading the way in this time. And so he goes out over the land of Egypt. And notice verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old. Let me just stop here for a second. He's a 30-year-old guy. Can you imagine us looking at this man, 30-year-old man? I mean, he's got his Armani on, some nice shoes, got his Rolex watch, driving the Mercedes. We look at this 30-year-old man and we say, mm-hmm, but he sold his integrity to get there. A lot of times it's easy for us to receive the people who are down and out and just assume they're godly, which may not be the case. But we look at the rich and powerful and we assume they're ungodly, which may not be the case. Here Joseph was. He was faithful to God. We need to be open to the fact that people may have what they have, positions of influence, because God gave it to them. And he wants them to use it for God. Don't naturally assume that they've sold their integrity to get there. Here Joseph was, this 30-year-old upstart, coming in, telling people what to do. What right? By the right of God. By the right of God. Now, we find that things happen just as, as he said it would happen. In verse 50, notice... The Bible says that he has a son. He calls the name of the firstborn Manasseh. It's a Hebrew word. He says, I'm not, I'm not naming my son an Egyptian name. I'm still the son of Jacob. I have the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac as my God. He'll have a Hebrew name. I'll call him Manasseh, which sounds a lot like forgetting. He explains that. Why are you naming your son forgetting? Well, you notice what he says. God has made me forget all my hardship. On all my father's house. That pain. That sharp pain. Is dulled. It's been dulled. It's not that he's saying he's forgotten his father. Forgotten his brothers. But he's forgotten the pain. That's identified with it. It's been dulled. Not through years. But dulled by the hand of God. You understand. That God can do a Manessa in your life. Not to say that you'll forget, but that the pain can become tolerable. 
that it can become dulled. The need of Manasseh. But then he has another son, Ephraim. Ephraim, another Hebrew word sounding much like the word twice fruitful. Twice fruitful. And so he explains, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Friends, some of us need to know that in our land of affliction, it does not mean that God is not absent. That God can make us fruitful in the land of our affliction. That's something God can do. And if you're in affliction because you are true to God, then praise God. That's what happened to Joseph. Why was he afflicted? Because he was true to God. But God had made him fruitful in the land of his affliction. He can Ephraim you as well. I'm reminded of Joel chapter 2, verse 25. Joel 2, 25 says, God says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. It says, you will go through difficult times, but rest assured that God has a way of restoring things. And you can be fruitful in the land of your affliction. Maybe you need to call this stage of your life Ephraim. Ephraim. And then we see in verse 53 that the land had plenty and then the famine came. And sure enough, Joseph delivered because God delivered. Joseph delivered, but God delivered. Listen, we need to remember something. Some of you, perhaps maybe in the sharp points of pain, are you going to go through the sharp points of pain? You just don't even know it. You need to know every one of us will go through sorrow. Every one of us will go through difficult times. It's going to happen. What do you do? Joseph Bailey, in his book, The Last Thing We Talk About, shared a story that seemed to help him. He lost three of his sons, Danny, John, and Joe, each of them at different ages, different reasons. One before he was five with leukemia. Remembering those heartaches, he writes about hope finally returning to him. He says, one Saturday morning in January, I saw the mail truck stop at our mailbox up on the road. Without thinking, except that I wanted to get the mail, I ran out of the house and up to the road in my shirt sleeves. It was bitterly cold. The temperature was below zero and there was a brisk wind from the north and the ground was covered with more than a foot of snow. I opened the mailbox, pulled out the mail, and was about to make a mad dash for the house when I saw what was on the bottom under the letters. Our burpee seed catalog. On the front were bright zenas. I turned it over. On the back were huge tomatoes. For a few moments, I was oblivious to the cold, delivered from it. I leafed through the catalog, tasting corn and cucumbers, smelling roses. I saw the freshly plowed earth, smelled it, let it run through my fingers. For those brief moments, I was living in the springtime and summer Winter passed. Then the cold penetrated to my bones and I ran back to the house. When the door was closed behind me, I was getting warm again. I thought how my moments at the mailbox were like our experiences as Christians. We feel the cold along with those who do not share our hope. The biting wind penetrates us as them. But in our cold times, we have a seed catalog. We open it. And smell the promised spring, eternal spring. And the first fruit that settles our hope is Jesus Christ, who raises from death and cold earth to glory eternal. Friends, you need to know that in the land of your affliction, there is a Manessa and there is an Ephraim. That there is a fruit that is there, that is a dullness of a pain. It's called the hope, hope of Jesus Christ. He is that which changes the pain that we're in. I'm reminded of Winnie the Pooh. There's two characters on there. There's Tigger too. Remember Tigger? He's the guy always bouncing 
always jumping. And he's talking about what a glorious day it will be. And he kind of wears us out. And then there's Eeyore. <laughs> yeah, there's Eeyore. I mean, these two are always together, it seems like. Eeyore, you know, he's got the tail kind of buttoned on, you know. And it's sunny outside. And he's gloomy. So, oh, it's going to rain today. And you know, we think, oh, man. Some of us are Tigger and some of us are Eeyore. <laughs> it's just how we are. Some of us look at the, the day half empty or half full. But listen, you will always have good days and you will always have bad days. It's not to be Tigger or Eeyore because they're looking at the days to determine how they're going to be. And listen, you're going to have both. You're going to have a day day that rains and a day with sunshine. It's going to happen to you and it happens to us alike. So you've got to look at something different. You're going to have to look at the God who is God and the sunshine, and the God who is God in the rain. And you're not going to be Tigger because good things are going to happen. You're going to be hopeful because there's a God. There's a God. And you're not going to be Eeyore because there's a God. You know, I see how Joseph, he was used to save the world physically in this day and time. Through his tribulations, God put him in place to save the world. How much more Jesus Christ. He was put through tribulation to bear the penalty of my self-centeredness, of my sin. He died on the cross. He didn't have the shackles, just the shackles. He had the forsaking work of God put upon him because he became sin for me. And if I would just make Jesus my Lord and Savior and say, I will follow you. I will no longer serve myself. I will make Jesus my king. Good days may come. Bad days will come. But more importantly, a good king will come. And I will serve that king, Jesus. He died for my sins. And he rose again. None other has done that. I love him because he first loved me. And I believe that he is with me. You know what the beautiful thing is? Jesus said, yes, Matthew 28, 19, 20, that when you follow him, you serve his purposes wherever you go. He will be with you always. But then he goes another step. Not only am I with you, I'm going to send another comforter who will be in you. And Paul says, what on earth can separate me from the love that's in Christ Jesus? There's nothing on this earth. No created thing can ever do that. No angel can do it. Remember these things. Even when it seems like nothing's happening, God's still there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the story of Joseph.